words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto you, O Lord, our God, and Lord and strength and redeemer. Amen. 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 Welcome to the fourth Sunday of Lent, the period of time when we're to look at repentance of our sins, to turn around and see God present and in loving care of us. Reconciliation is the theme, obviously, this Sunday. It's mentioned both in the first lesson and also in the psalm. And we have this unique gospel. I'm not sure that any of you know this gospel. Um, Your familiarity with it may be not clear, but let me remind you that it is a gospel that uh, has quite a lot of weight to it. The important thing in the commentaries reminded me that, in fact, we have to look at the gospel because we first notice that it's the Pharisees that are concerned about who Jesus is hanging around with. And they want to put Jesus always, as they do, to the test. And what does he do? He tells us another story. And we, of course, know it as the story of the prodigal son. But I want to put an end part to that because it's the prodigal son and the first sibling who is right. Keep that in context. To understand the story, we have to understand Jewish culture and custom at the time. For a second child, or third, or fourth, to ask and seek the inheritance from the father was to become no longer a member of the family. Tradition was that if, in fact, a child seeks the inheritance, they become dead to the entire family. So it's important to put into context when you see the cultural situation, what is Jesus responding to in his story? He's responding to those who knew the law and tells them a story that defines total difference to all of their norms, which was obviously, at the time, extremely difficult and hard to take. Because the son who has taken the money, inheritance, who is now disowned by the family, has gone to another culture so that he can live the lifestyle he chooses with no regard whatsoever to the culture and the history that he left. He was free to do those things he did. But in finding out that he, in fact, was now impoverished and he, his, parent, his father had it better with the slaves than he had, he decided to turn around. He repented and was aware of how 
vehement his action had been against his father and his family. He didn't seek to come back as a son. He was going to come back as a slave. In the custom. Here's where Jesus takes the story. And I would imagine the Pharisees were not pleased. Because the father now is looking and sees him at a distance and runs to him. The disowned. The disenfranchised. The one who long longer was a part of that family. And the father runs up and embraces him, tells the servant, get a robe, a ring, let's kill the fatted calf, because my son who is dead is now alive. That's totally contrary to the Jewish culture and custom of the day. So it must have been very difficult for those Pharisees in the presence of Jesus hearing something that hit them at the core and challenged their whole cultural norm. So the story of the prodigal son, the one who was life-free and living, is one that really is counter to the culture with which the story was being addressed. The son was not only loved, but brought into the household of that family once again against Jewish custom and the norm. The father saying, my son who is dead is now alive. What I find interesting, I've actually literally heard parents at times in difficult situations and intense moments with their children have said to me and to others that my son or daughter is dead to me. I can't even begin to fathom that, being a parent myself. And regardless of the craziness that my son has gotten into over the number of years that he's enjoyed life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and dreams, and everything else, I could never even begin to understand how I could ever become a, get into a situation where I would no longer love my child, that he would be dead to me. But there are those in our culture who believe that, who profess that. The interesting part to me is, and I said in the beginning, the story is important because the first sibling comes back, sees the rejoicing and everything else. And what does he do? He hears the dancing. He asks the slave, what's going on? They're having a party because your brother's home. What happens to him? He gets angry, which was the cultural norm. This, my brother who is dead, has come back, and his, my dad has accepted him with open arms? How can that be? And the interesting part is the dialogue between the father and the son at this point. The older sibling says, well, look, I've been your slave. I've done all the things you wanted me to do. I can't believe that you would honor this son who was totally in denial, who was dead to you. 
And he gets angry not only at the brother, but at his father for having the depth and the breadth of love to have compassion and bring him in. Now, the stumbling block in our lives is we forget sometimes that we have a tendency to fit into the norm of the older sibling. If we've done good things, we've done the right things, we've done all the things that everyone else has accepted us or expected us to do, we expect a decent response. And sometimes when you see someone else that you know doesn't live that kind of life, doesn't live under the bounds of guilt or direction or whatever else, that they can enjoy life and we can't, there's a jealousy and there's a separation and there's an anger that comes up in all of us. Why should they be accepted when I'm so good? That's our trap. The older sibling is our trap. We project guilt on ourselves, but in fact, we look at others and say, I am better than this one or that one. And why shouldn't I receive the fruits the goodness and graciousness of God. Jealousy and envy and anger are a part of our lives. The hard part is when you get to a situation where, in fact, something comes alive in your immediate life context. All of a sudden, these stories of Jesus become alive and well, it becomes problematic because all of a sudden you see things from a very different perspective. Sheila has two daughters. The older daughter is wonderful, consistent, loyal. The younger daughter got involved with a group of people who decided that her life needed to change. And she went off and joined a commune. And she wrote a letter to Sheila disowning her as a mother. Finding that her as a mother, she never was helpful, was never kind. And she opened herself to a new group who could commit themselves and care about her. Fortunately, Sheila had a lot of friends here in the church and externally, where she kept asking the question, what have I done? What, what, what's going on? Why, why would she do this? Why would she say these things? As though somehow Sheila was responsible for her daughter's decision. And it was through persistence, consistency, prayers with others, and a willingness to explore cult life, And she was advised to just be persistent, just be caring, just be loving, and no judging. I found it amazing because it would be easier for me as the husband involved to be very judging. 
what she had done to Sheila was unbelievable. But Sheila persisted in, in prayer and working with many, a number of friends from the choir and so forth. She persisted and stayed diligent to the fact that the door would always be open. Five years of separation, maybe six, and her daughter called and said that she was going to leave the group. And Sheila said, well, I'll get you a ticket. You'll fly to Spokane. I'll meet you there. She also took a grandson with her. She met at the airport. And her daughter's first reaction was, how can you be so caring after what I did? How can you love me at this time in my life after all the things I've done? And it was interesting because Sheila had really understood for the first time in many ways, and I was the witness to this, that it's out of the love and the persistence of love that we find the reconnection of lives and the reconciliation for anything that happens. It was interesting because this morning, one of our choir friends brought something. Sheila's daughter was so thankful to the group of people that helped Sheila through this time that she gave them gifts. And Melinda, this morning, going through things, had found the gift from Heather. was a heart of love for thanks. The note to Melinda and Bob. Thank you for being there for my mom during the past difficult years. I will always be grateful for this love and support you gave her from my heart to yours. Happy holidays. Love, Heather. When God asks us to be reconciled, God's overwhelming love for us accepts us at every point Injunction in our life. Even the times when we become self-righteous, jealous, envious of others. It's our trick to open our eyes and minds to God's love through prayer, through community, and through the presence of Christ so that all of us can find not only God's love, but can be reconciled 
so that we, in fact, now become free. Amen. Amen. Amen.